Happy New Year, DSR listeners. This year, we're adding even more content and benefits for members, including a new weekly column written by David Rothkoff, more exclusive content, new shows and hosts, and soon, a new membership option that will include a mix of live and virtual events and interactive discussions. Members also receive an ad-free listening experience, members-only bonus content, an invitation to join the DSR Slack community, a members-only newsletter, and members-only blog posts. Membership is just $5 per month or $50 per year. To become a member, visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy. Thank you and Happy New Year. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello and welcome to the first episode of Deep State Radio of 2023. Amazing. We are joined by our usual cast of brilliant, beautiful geniuses. And uh, of course, by that, I mean David Sanger of the New York Times. <laughs> you know, David, of the in, tw- in 2023, you're now going to Describe me as brilliant and beautiful. I, I'm touched. David, you yes, look beautiful. Count on that. You do look beautiful, David. Rosa Brooks of Georgetown University. How are you doing, Rosa? Hi, hi there, David. And Corey Shockey, suffering away in bitterly cold California. It's true. I had to light a fire in the fireplace. It's so cold today. <laughs> Corey, I invite you to come to my Vermont surroundings here where it is freezing rain outside. <laughs> Oh, yuck. It's disgusting. <laughs> I hate to break it, you guys, but I'm in Jamaica. Well, which demonstrates- It's kind of hot here. Who the actual genius among this group is. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll say, because I'm in our new home in Washington, D.C., and uh, there's a fireplace, and so I tried to turn the fireplace on, and it wouldn't work. It's Uh-oh. a gas fireplace. So then I called the gas fireplace guy, and he came and looked at it, and he said, oh, there's a problem with this. If it's cold outside, this one won't start. And I was like, no, no <laughs> well, wait a minute. Well, of course not. You <laughs> can only use it in summer. Didn't f- you know that? It's the yeah. domestic yeah. equivalent of the Washington metro system having originally been built without de-icing on the rails. Because why would people take public transport in bad driving conditions? In bad weather. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Well, they may have been built by the same guy. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, so here we are in 2023, as everybody knows. Now the engineer for the Russian army. (laughs) Yeah, possibly. As everybody knows, when the new year begins, all pundits everywhere are called upon to make predictions. Predictions about the year ahead. You know, now, the problem with predictions, of course, is that people are held to them. But I've talked to our producers, and as soon as this podcast airs, we will destroy it. (laughs) And oh, then no one you. can ever check. <laughs> no one can ever check to see what you what you had in mind. But I just thought, you know, we should we should we should do that too. I wrote a column for the Daily Beast the other day 
of sort of 10 flashpoints for 2023. But in it, I included, you know, all these other places that have made, you know, uh, assessments of flashpoints, threats, risks, and and so forth. But I'm not going to start there because Corey wears, as everybody knows, the glittering crown of optimism. And I'm going to let Corey kick off a round of positive predictions for the year 2023. Positive. Corey, wow. somewhere. Some, yeah, no, this is going to be tough for you, Rosa. <laughs> it's going to be painful <laughs> to listen to. <laughs> the, yeah. But I'm going to ask you, somewhere in the world, surely something positive is likely to happen in the year ahead. So oh, absolutely. Where do you start? By summer, Ukraine will be liberating Crimea, the last of its internationally recognized territory that will be remaining under Russian control. That's a good one. Let's just fold up our tent. If that happens, it'll be a pretty good year. What do you say, David? I'm going to go to Rosa last because I know this good. This because I know I'm going to be a downer. To say something positive is going to require. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So what what do you say, David? Well, I'm glad that Corey had to go first with the optimism because it relieves me of the responsibility. But no, no, uh, you have to be optimistic too. <laughs> the first I, but, round here no, are positive predictions. I understand, but I don't have to be as optimistic as Corey. No one okay. expects that. No one expects okay. that. No one ex- I, I if if I was as optimistic, I would wear her crown and it wouldn't fit. <laughs> so no, maybe. no, it would not. Uh, yeah. Go on. So um, a couple of predictions. I do not believe they will liberate Crimea. I think they will be talking about liberating Crimea. I don't think that they could liberate it and hold it. But I do think that by the summertime, the Russians will be having a very hard time holding on to what they have in the south and the east. I think they will be in, in pieces of it. And my hope is the war will have gone down to a slow roar. My fear, which we can discuss a little bit later on, is how the Russians react to that. I think the other possible good news is that after a few years in which we were watching autocratic regimes seem on the rise and come up with solutions, that um, Xi Jinping's China and Putin's Russia will not look like entities that other countries necessarily want to go emulate. That China's economy will not be in the kind of shape that it has been in recent times. You already are seeing that. That Russia's troubles will deepen. And the result will be that um, President Biden will be able to make a more credible argument than he could two years ago that you got to prove that democracy can deliver. And while it may not be delivering everything, it may look like it's delivering more than the other guys. Wow. Rosa, I don't know how you paid him that quickly to set you up. But if that's good news, you know, they're not going to get Crimea. China's going to have problems. Russia's going to have problems. Yay for our side. You know, you could say almost anything and just call it good news. (laughs) Well, yeah, as you can expect, I don't have a ton of good news. I think I'm more in line with David's Ukraine prediction than with Corey's. But I think the the likely good news is more going to take the form of things that we've been worrying about that I'm now marginally less worried about. 
I'm marginally less worried that Russia is going to use a nuclear weapon of some sort than I was, you know, three months ago, six months ago. You know, I think so far indications are that they get what a horrifically bad idea that would be and how it would isolate them from their few remaining allies. Uh, and I think China and India sent some pretty clear messages to them about that. So that's a piece of good news. Uh, I think that that threat has somewhat diminished. It's not gone. I think that the we also have plenty. Well, OK, wait a minute. Now I'm going into the bad news. I'll stop right there. I'll stop See? right there. <laughs> it's See, hard. It's very yourself. hard. I also think that an, another small piece of good news is that although we continue to not do nearly enough globally about climate change, I think the, the pace the pace is likely to step up. The pace of investment in alternative sources of energy, et cetera. I think that the combination of you know weather cataclysms and political pressure of the last couple of years is sort of finally beginning to have some serious impact. So I'm you know while I don't think it's going to be enough, I think we're going to see accelerated movement, and and that's a good thing. That was two good things. You know, it reminds me of an article that I saw today that said, the good news is Russia's efforts to put economic pressure on Europe because of the cold of winter aren't working because of global warming. You're like, <laughs> right. wait a minute, that's the... <laughs> David, you, you have not well distinguished between short-term good news and long-term <laughs> good news. That is what you would call short-term good news that's long-term really bad news. <laughs> so my prediction for good news for yeah. 2023 is that Kevin McCarthy will lose the first vote to be Speaker of the that House. Is that going to be good news in the end? Yeah, no, that it, happened it has five been. minutes ago. Okay, but, uh, excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so, enjoyable yeah, to was, see that, that I'm, but is that actually going to turn out to be good news in the longer run? I mean, the person who got the most votes on the first round of voting was... Uh, Hakeem Jeffries, but uh, not quite enough. Not 2014. He only got, or 2018 or whatever it is. He got only 2012. So let's try and move on now to some of the, the threats and things that we are most worried about for the year 2023. The, clearly, there are many. I'll start with you, Corey. Pick one that's on the top of your list. Well, I'm really, uh, your column in the Daily Beast on concerns really resonated with me, especially the part about we're continuing to ignore North Korea while they're continuing to be incredibly dangerous and destabilizing. And it begins to have direct threats to South Korea and in a South Korean government that is not committed to a sunshine policy or a soft line on North Korea. Seems to me there's a really high risk of, of war on the Korean peninsula if we and others can't come up with a strategy for containing North Korea. But, but David, this is your expertise and not mine, so I'd love to have you prove me wrong. So I'll give you my short list of concerns. Let's go back for a moment to Ukraine, and then I'll swing around to North Korea because they actually do, do connect here. The first concern I have is that Putin is going to come to the conclusion this year that his strategy so far of containing the war to Ukraine is not working for him, and that he will then turn to asymmetric ways, not direct confrontation with the U.S. or NATO, but asymmetric ways to strike back at the West. And it's a th some of the things that we predicted- By the way, I just have to point out, 
That was our prediction prior to the beginning of this war. That's right. 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 That's, that was, that's, right. that's what we said we, he was going to do. That's right. Not only was it our prediction, I think it was my prediction. And But you've destroyed that one because under your policy of destroying all predictions 24 hours after they broadcast. And we're wrong. I was wrong uh, in that the attacks outside of Ukraine have been pretty modest. We've seen some cyber action against Poland and a few others, but nothing on the scale that we would have anticipated. But now we're in a different situation. We're in a situation where Putin knows he's not going to win and where he's got to make up for the failures of the ground force. And that's why, to slightly disagree in the new year with Rosa, I'm actually not more optimistic on the nuclear side of things than I was a few months ago, because I think that if Putin comes to the conclusion that he really can't rely on any of his ground troops, then asymmetric and nuclear, or at least the nuclear threats, are the only things for him to fall back on. Which takes me to Corey and her thoughts. Corey, Corey uh, is your main threat. See, David, for, I'm relieved that you disagree, and I'm relieved that you have a gloomier outlook than I. Because now I can, I can say, "Oh, thank God." Yeah, someone's someone's way gloomier. But you know, I I think what's happened to you is that being you know down in the warmth of of life down there has actually softened you up, Rozo. I think that's probably right. I, um, I take it all back. It's going to be horrible. There's going to be a nuclear war. As I soon think. as you get back to cold, the cold, miserable East Coast, you'll return to your usual dour self. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Can't wait. It's actually, Rosa, it's warmer here than it is in California. I just, I, do. I know. It's actually pretty pleasant. I know. It's pretty pleasant in Washington today. So you don't have an ocean. No, that's, that's true. That's, that's true. true. There's no question it's about sw- that. It's a swim down the Potomac before it dumps out out there. So it takes me to North Korea. What I think is the most interesting development in the past couple of months is this odd dance between Russia, China, Iran, and to some degree North Korea, with Iran supplying drones and, we're concerned, perhaps soon missiles to the Russians. The North Koreans apparently delivering artillery to the Wagner Group, the um, sort of semi-private Putin's buddy private army, and that you're going to begin to see more of a coming together of this grouping, each one of which has a different relationship to each other, with the Chinese being the most cautious of all because they have the most to lose here. But I think that the, the instability that Corey has rightly identified for North Korea is going to get wrapped up in this larger relationship. And I'm not sure that the Chinese at this point are going to go be the restraining influence on North Korea that we've been counting on across countless administrations. I'm not sure they ever were all that restraining, but I really don't think they have any incentive to be so now. Go ahead, Rosa. Well, you know, the, the the good thing about basically being apocalyptic in your out in your outlook is that you know you get used to it so you're not really that afraid of the apocalypse anymore so i don't think there's one thing that i'm afraid of i think i just have a sort of generally dismal set of predictions i don't think there's going to be a, a a sort of sudden catastrophe i think that 
you know, Ukraine will continue to be a slog. I think that we will continue to ignore Latin America and Africa, which particularly in the case of conflicts in Africa, such as Ethiopia, is going to be a crying shame. I think that tensions with China are going to continue over Taiwan, over export control, over their relationship with Russia. I I essentially think we're going to see more of the same. I don't see a big shift coming here. Uh, I think all of the things that we have been looking about this entire year are, you know, they're going to continue. And, And David, I think, is almost certainly right that at a minimum, Russia will be tempted to use gray zone techniques. I think the difference, the reason that I, even though David and I as well had predicted that in the first place and turned out to be wrong, that actually doesn't make me less confident in my prediction this time because, you know, now they've already done the conventional stuff, they're doing it, you know, so the only extra they can really add is the gray zone stuff. I'm still a little more optimistic than David about the use of nuclear weapons. But I certainly think other gray zone tactics, uh, particularly cyber conflict, may be stepped up as the Russians get more and more frustrated with their inability to make the kind of progress that they initially imagined that they would be able to make. And over and over, they've sort of thought, okay, well, now this time we've done a reset. It hasn't happened. So basically, on most fronts, I think we're going to get more of the same, except we're going to have the extra special dollop, most likely of a global recession just to make things more fun for everyone around the globe. Wow. Frankly, I'm a little disappointed. That is, you are usually <laughs> much more pessimistic, much, much more pessimistic than that. But David, don't you love the fact that Rosa and I, having not been correct last year, are just doubling down on the bets this year, thinking that eventually we will be right? Eventually. Well, I, you, even I a think, broken I, clock. <laughs> I'm not I'm not I'm not surprised David but you forget that <laughs> at the same time or slightly before both of you made that prediction I made a wrote a column making that prediction also which can be found at the Daily Beast archive of my incorrect predictions which is huge <laughs> growing yes. on a daily I'm sorry right. I don't have that much memory in my Yeah computer. right it's it's, <laughs> it's it's a whole big corner of the cloud anyway I I'll make one for you I think this will be the worst year in modern memory for the U.S.-Israel relationship. I think the Israeli government is deranged and dangerous. And this administration has started off with statements about it that are way too soft. You know, "Eh, we love each other and we're all on the same page and everything's going to be great. And it's not going to be. And it's not going to be on... Palestinians. It's not going to be on settlements. It's not going to be on democracy. Uh, And as of yesterday, the Israeli foreign minister came out and said, you know, we kind of like Russia in this whole thing. And let's not criticize Russia. You know, let's, you know, those those are, you know, those are our pals. We're we're going to, we're going to turn down our criticism of Russia. And sooner or later, this is going to cause a problem. And the administration knows it. They've had meetings talking about now, now, some people, and I frankly sometimes in this group, may think having a, a, a more balanced policy towards Israel is a good thing. But tension in the relationship is, is going to be a headache for the, for the administration. With that in mind, Corey, keep in mind everything we've just said, good news and bad news. Other than Ukraine, what do you think are going to be the big time-consuming concerns for the Biden administration? I think they're going to have to burn up a lot of time and energy figuring out how to fill the the 
enormous sinkhole that is the lack of international economic policy. And because they don't actually favor free trade agreements, despite their commitment to multilateralism, they're going to have to do it sequentially, as they have just done with imports of European electric vehicles, you know, and Canada on a number of trade issues. They're, they're going to try and do it piecemeal, and that'll be incredibly time-consuming because they otherwise can't square the circle of their opposition to free trade and uh, the fact that that is that kind of international cooperation among friends and allies is both necessary to produce the technological outcomes for green energy, for all sorts of things, but also for getting the economy of scale to manage the problem of China's threats. So I think that's actually going to chew up a lot of time, and the administration is going to try and uh, have us ignore all of that and keep it low-key because they can't intellectually connect those two pieces. The other thing that I think is going to take a lot of time is border issues. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw that there is a major break-in at a Mexican prison in the last couple of days, springing a drug kingpin and others. And I think we have for a long time both undervalued the political cooperation that Mexico can and occasionally does provide as the strategic depth to manage immigration across our southern border, but we also dramatically underestimate the risks of slow sinking into criminal activity of the governance of Mexico. I wrote a column last week because, you know, the week between Christmas and New Year's, all the columnists go on vacation. So the Daily Beast called up and said, okay, we have room for a few more by you. So send us some columns. So I wrote also one that was a foreign policy report card for the Biden administration, which echoes back to an earlier conversation we had, in which I said, I thought they were doing a good job at international economic policy. I'll leave it there. Go read it. Corey and I agree on most things, not that. David, what's going to occupy the Biden administration other than Ukraine? Yeah. So a few things. First, China management. They've got some big decisions ahead. I think they recognize that the very hawkish views that they've taken for the first 18 months were responded to by equally hawkish responses from the Chinese. That's toned down a little bit since President Biden met President Xi in, uh, uh, in Bali, but it's going to be hard to keep that going for a bit. I think the second part of the China policy that's going to be hard to go do is to try to implement the industrial policy portion of this, the building of new semiconductor plants and so forth, in time to actually be effective. You know, it's the industrial version of the thing that Corey was warning us about all of last year, which was that our defense budget increases for the Indo-Pacific were out of sync with the speed at which the threat came along. And I would argue that while Biden has done a very good job of kickstarting the semiconductor industry and some others, that it also 
has a problem with delivering in time. And I think the third part of the China element that's going to be hard is, believe it or not, the decisions ahead over things like TikTok, buried away in the Defense Authorization Act that the president signed the other day, was a ban on TikTok uh, being downloaded on government phones. Seems reasonable, and I think the military has done that for a while, and a lot of states led with that. That then raises the question, if you have determined that it is such a national security threat that you can't have it live on your government phones, how can you have it live on your national network? It's a really hard argument to sustain. And yet telling 100 million Americans, including young people who Joe Biden will be relying upon for votes, that TikTok is banned from their phone doesn't sound to me like a workable policy. So I agree with you, David. We've been very... We've been very worried about possible civil conflict as a result of uh, partisan differences. But I think if TikTok is banned, everyone under 20 may rise up and march on Washington with their machete. It would be great if more than 14 percent of them would vote and thereby influence. That would be great, too. Well, what (laughs) this might do is this might actually be a way of prompting them to vote, Corey, by telling them if if you want to protect your TikTok, you're going to. Because I'm not sure which side the Republicans would take on that. Would they sign up with TikTok and the China? That would be really interesting to go to go ask. Um, so that's on the China side. On the uh, domestic side, Biden's got to hope that the relief in um, inflation, which you can see a little bit, I filled up my my uh, my truck the other day for three twenty nine a gallon up here in in Vermont. That's a big David, difference from a the truck? five bucks a week. Rosa, tell us Rosa. about your truck. Do I please? Not, do I not? She knows. Like she knows the truth here. How much did it cost to fill up the Porsche, David? It <laughs> doesn't sound so part. Vermont to me. <laughs> David is a man of the people. You know, David, I'm I'm waiting for that day, and I'll be led by you since you're my my lead in all things automotive for the. Porsche pickup truck. I think that would be a really good. I, I think uh, those. I think those exist. They just introduced a. Well, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Thus revealing, you know, where the interest in Porsche started out here, right? So I, I think on the domestic side, if he can, if inflation gets reduced as a as a political issue, I think that will be a, a big deal uh, for him. I know. I can't tell you that I really understand the Republican strategy now for investigating Hunter Biden and and others. I just don't think this is going to have the sticking power of the January 6th committee which was carefully done on a on a uprising that was clearly meant to overturn an election in the United States, but maybe they've got a better theory going than than I'm aware of. Rosa, what's going to occupy them? What's going to occupy their their time? I think that I agree with David. I think that the domestic economy is going to almost certainly occupy a lot of time trying to reassure people, trying to tell them, as Dave Barry suggested in his end of the year wrap up in the Washington Post, that it's all Vladimir Putin's fault. If you didn't read Dave Barry's end of year wrap up in the Washington Post, you should because it's very funny. 
I also think that we're going to spend a lot of time trying to keep alliances together and reassure allies and keep them keep them on track with us, both when it comes to Ukraine, especially if it does turn out to be a cold and difficult winter for, for much of Europe. I think we're going to have to spend a lot of time sort of saying, hey, don't waver. Come on. We're going to help you. Come on. Keep going. And that's going to be complicated and time consuming. But also, we're going to have to try to hold together alliances on when it comes to export policy and U.S. industrial policy, because obviously the the CHIPS Act, as well as aspects of the Inflation Reduction Act, both prohibiting exporting chips to China, but also support for the U.S. industrial base, did not make our European allies particularly happy. It puts them in a somewhat difficult position. And we're going to have to spend a lot of time, I think, dealing with the the fallout from that and trying to kind of keep everybody on board and say, hey, look, this is this is something that the administration felt it had to do for all sorts of reasons, but don't give up on us. I think that's going to be just hard and complicated. I, here's something that I think the administration should spend a lot of time on, but I'm not sure that they will. To echo something I've said before, I think that the midterm election results do not mean that we're out of the woods on the various threats to democracy that we may well see coming up again, particularly in 2024, I'm a little bit concerned that people are going to say, hey, whoa, we dodged that bullet, we're good now, rather than putting continued energy into trying to prepare for the threats that are still likely to come. I hope that's not the case, because I think that's something that the administration should be very focused on. There is an international piece of that, by the way, of course, because one of the really interesting things about the far-right extremism has been the links between U.S. far-right extremists and and far-right nationalist extremists in other countries. And I think actually it's even, you know, it's a piece of the, it's a piece with the sort of, I don't even, I don't know, Corey, you'll have to explain to me what the mainstream GOP is at this point. I'm not sure what it can be said to be, but, but certainly plenty of the Trumpier side of the Republican Party or not violent extremists nonetheless have, you know, flirted with with support for Russia. They like strong men, et cetera. Um, and, and that clearly is, and they hate Vladimir Zelensky, weirdly. I'm not quite sure why they hate him so much, but they really do. And I think that that has been sort of part of the overall GOP zeitgeist that fuels uh, an interest on the, part of, on the part of actual extremist organizations in taking comfort and tips and potentially support from international organizations as well. Uh, and that's certainly something that I, I hope the administration is going to spend a lot of time on because it's really critical. That's a good point. And, you know, we, we things evolve in our own minds. And, you know, for example, there's this vote going on as we're recording this and could, could be going on for a couple of days. Who knows on who the speaker of the House is going to be and on the GOP side. Everybody is involved in the race has either defended the insurrection, participated in the rec- insurrection, defended Trump. It's kind of strange, but it but the, the, that that crowd is getting more institutionally entrenched, not less. Okay, well, there are a couple of other things that I'd like to touch upon, notably wild cards, and we'll get back to that in a moment. But this is the point where we say goodbye to the folks who are out there listening to this in the public, and we say hang on a second to those of you who are members who have paid just $5 a month so you can listen all the extra juicy parts of these podcasts, which follow these little breaks. The breaks aren't that long, and you can tell because if you're a member, it'll be over in just one second. 